0: Brothers and sisters, I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ with his love. And I want to tell you that it is great to be in the house of the Lord. It is great to be with you. Um, What we want to proclaim from this pulpit and everywhere we are is the revelation of God to the people and build people up that God loves you. And I want to tell you today this morning and encourage you that God loves you. And it's not a trivial thing. It's a thing to be thinking and praising and leaping from joy that God loves you. Whatever you are, and I want to tell you that I love you too, no matter what you voted last Sunday, it doesn't matter. Honestly, truly I'm praising the Lord for you and I'm glad. I'm glad that we could be here together. I'm also glad that I didn't preach last Sunday because that would be the day that I would preach on the day of the Lord and that would be kinda hard. I'm so glad that Bill Vaughn took the spot and taught us how to counsel ourselves and prepare ourselves for the day of the Lord which is coming in the text today But it's my joy to go back to 1 Thessalonians. If you open your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's amazing how fast we went through this book. And we come to a somewhat dreadful and mixed with joy passage. Which explains the day of the Lord and our relationship to it. Now we're gonna read it and pray and we're gonna dive in into the text. Without further ado, 1 Thessalonians 5, we read verses one to 11. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then distraction will come suddenly upon them like labor upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get they drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that Whatever we are, whenever, whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Pray with me, Father, we thank you. As we come into the sacred text, our hearts are trembling because it is a serious and sober text. It's kind of reminding us about the end of the program where salvation and the gospel runs. And all the Bible is written to bring us to Christ and mature us in faith and also make us the sons of light so we could evangelize the world. And at that day, Lord, it would kind of wrap up. The program will wrap up and I pray that we'll be ready to meet Christ. Prepare our hearts, Lord, and I, prepare, I ask that this word would disciple us and to change us and to transform us into a true disciples of Jesus who in light of this day will live their lives, holy life, but also preaching the gospel. May you bless us, Lord, in that. Amen. There are important days in in our lives, there are many days in our lives that are similar to previous and many days of your life you don't remember. You don't remember what you ate in 1988 at breakfast, right? So that was insignificant, probably, date. But there are days that are very significant. Not every day is equal. I remember the day when I was baptized. I remember the day when I was married. I remember the day of my first child. Don't remember the fourth, no, I do. But I also remember the days, you know, that are not so good, they're bad days. The day when I got first F in school and I was dreadful to come home because I knew my father would ask me, what did you get? I remember the accident when I end up at hospital and I was thinking that this is the last day of my life. There are the days that are good and bad. And similar in the Bible, when you read your Bible, you see the days, you see different days. There are good days. When you open your Bible in Genesis one, there are good days. There are good seven days. Gee, God is creating and filling the whole world with life and exuberant joy. And then in chapter three, we read about the bad day, the dreadful day when Adam naked hid it in the bushes, waiting for the wrath of God to pass him by. Not every day in the Bible is equal, but there's one day, there's one day that is way different from any days. This day has its own title. The name of this day is the day of the Lord. It is the day. The one day which is completely different from all other days. The day that would be dreadful for some people that would bring death and destruction. And the day that for the believers will bring light Joy and life. The day of the Lord is salvation for the believer, and the day of the Lord is destruction and death for the unbeliever. So, as we take this text, we're going to split it in two parts and see your relationship with this day. And I want to ask you this question that you will ask yourself this question throughout the message and after you hear and go listen and go eat your lunch and go eat your dinner and tomorrow I I want to ask you this question that your heart will ask yourself in which camp I am. What is my relationship with this day? And your relationship with this day is determined by your relationship with the Lord. The relationship with the day of the Lord, it depends on your relationship with the Lord of the day. There are two camps of people in this passage. There are two different categories. There are two two different characteristics. There are two different expectations for the day and two different destinies. And the distance and the difference between them as night and day. Point number one people of darkness, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, is explaining to us the relationship of the unbeliever to the coming day of the Lord. And the point of these three verses is that the day of the Lord is the day of total darkness and death and destruction for every unbeliever. Now when Paul brings this point he meant it as encouragement because in verse 11 he said therefore encourage one another and build one another up and you would think so how in the world this message would be an encouragement to anyone and it's not and it's not for the day for the people of darkness the people who are in unbelief it is in no way encouraging I want to ask this question so, and, and take this from the perspective on unbeliever, how this day of the Lord relates to the unbeliever, and say when it's coming, what is this, and how it's going to take place. And the question when is, pops up from the verse 1, because this is the question that Thessalonians ask probably Timothy when he visits them. And they were asking, listen, we are suffering here, we are struggling here, we're striving to live a holy and godly life, we've been persecuted, but when is the day of the Lord? You just spoke to us that there would be be resurrection from the death, there would be rapture of the church. When are these things going to take place? And they're not asking just because they're curious. We ask because we're curious. A lot of things. I want to know when the day of the Lord would come in regards to my life so I could get ready, prepared. And so I ask when. But the Paul, Paul, he doesn't answer this question. In fact, he is addressing this issue and said, well, this is not the problem. It's not the problem for you to know when. He says, now as the time and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. It's not just because I taught you about the timing, but because it's not your business to know. Now, we could understand Thessalonians believers that they were imitators of the Church of God and of Jesus Christ and of those who follow in Judea, that they've been persecuted and endured same sufferings at the hand of their countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So they're suffering and asking when is going to happen. It's normal to know and to wait in the sufferings when the sufferings will end, right? When you go to a dentist, I don't know how about you. When I go to a dentist, I want to know how long this procedure is going to take place. And it's not that the dentists are bad people and that they meant to hurt people. I, I you know, but I, I don't trust them. You know, naturally don't trust them because probably I had my three or four root canals done without any anesthesia, and so, you know, now they they give you a shot, but I still don't trust them. I want to know how long it's going to take. Is it going to be painful or not? And I'm sweating. Literally, every time at a dentist chair, I am sweating because of my previous experience. I want to know how long it's going to take. The believer want to know when it's going to be over. But Paul doesn't provide this instructions. He said, you are the same, this is the same question our disciples asked Jesus about his second coming. When is this second coming will come? And Jesus said, well, good question. Let me expound on that. No, he said, it's not for you to know. It's not for me to know. It is only for the Father to know when he has fixed by his own authority the times and the epochs. We don't know the chronology. We don't know the timing. We don't know when the day of the Lord will come. All we know from the previous passage as Tim was preaching that the first event in the escalation of all the wrath of God will be the rapture of the church. We don't know when it's going to happen. And at the rapture of the church, the day of the Lord will appear. We have no idea when it happens. And Paul says, you know full well that you do not know. The point is of this passage that you don't try to get to know because you know full well that you have no idea. So neither I am. I have no idea. And this is what Jesus told before in Matthew 24 and 42. He says, therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. It is unknown. In Luke 12, 39, he says, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. I like how lay Samuel said, answering question when, he said, if there's one thing certain about the timing of the day of the Lord's return, it is this, that we cannot be certain of the timing. One thing we know for sure, that we do not know when Jesus is coming. But He is. He is. Unexpected rapture will trigger the all sorts of events the unexpected rapture and an unpredicted rapture he will take place and the day of the Lord will follow right after. Now I just want to note and mention about what is the day of the Lord because this is a massive massive title, massive. Uh, it takes massive place in the scripture in many places and you have them in your bulletin those places we're not going to go through all of them but let's just explain what is the day of the Lord meant for Israel because this is where the first time we see in Isaiah chapter 13 verse 6 this is the first time the day of the Lord appears and when you read Isaiah 13 6 the context is of the day and the dreadful day of the Lord is the deliverance of Israel Israelites were waiting for the day of the Lord because they were oppressed by Babylon and Isaiah promised that the Lord is coming, that the, Lord, the day of the Lord is near and will become a destruction from the Almighty on the Babylon. It was a good news for Israel. And Obadiah preaches the same point, the judgment on Edom, the salvation of Israel, The day of the Lord, what the light for the Israelites, for the day of the Lord draws near to all the nations. As you have done it, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head, because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they never existed. The day of the Lord was supposed to delight for Israel and that will bring salvation for them. But something happened when Amos started introducing the day of the Lord later on. In Amos chapter 5, 18, it was a surprise for Israel. It says, alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord will be to you? It will be darkness and not light. And when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him or goes home, leans He's had a hand against the wall, and the snake bites him. "Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it?" And he addresses Israel. Zephaniah says the same thing: Judah, the day of the Lord will be dread for you. It is near, and it will be not good, but evil. And so as we see, Israelite the house of the Lord turns to be corrupt. And the supposedly day of the Lord, the good day of the Lord turns into bad. And so it is for us today. You might call yourself a Christian, but I want you to remember, if you're not in light of the gospel, if you have not received the faith Jesus Christ, if you didn't put your trust in him, this day it's not good. It is going to be dreadful. And Paul is addresses this for the unbeliever. And he says this is how it's going to come. And he gives us three illustrations. That this day of the Lord for the unbeliever will be like a shock. will be sudden and it will be sure destruction. Now he says here, you yourselves know full well in verse 2 that that day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night just like a thief in the night. It is gonna be a total surprise. Have you ever been robbed? I hope not. But you never get an invitation or, or the card in saying, okay, please be ready. I'm coming at 2 a.m. in the morning to rob your house. One time I woke up and one of my properties was stolen that night. It was sudden, it was surprising unexpected. And Paul is referring to the same message as Peter in chapter 3 of Second Peter verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth in all its work will burn, be burned up. And Revelation 3, 3 Jesus addresses the church. He says, so remember that you have received and heard. And keep it and repent. Therefore if you do not wake up. I will come like a thief. And you will not know. At what hour I will come to you. It, was, it would be completely surprising. As the thief. And a night, Unexpected like a thief. But it will be also devastating. The reason Paul is addressing this. And it bring the example of the thief and a night Because the thief comes to rub. It's not just like you're surprised you wake up and you have a thief at the door. He is gone and he is able to steal. For the unbeliever, what would be the sudden, it is a complete loss of everything that he has. Complete loss of all his possessions. Complete loss of all his goodnesses and of his life. It would be like a thief in the night when the day of the Lord overcomes him. He will lose everything. Suddenly unexpectedly the effect would be devastating now we know that jesus compared himself as a thief not in the sense that he's going to steal but he's going to take suddenly what he's owned. every unbeliever enjoys grace every unbeliever enjoys goodness of god and at that moment every goodness and every love and every kindness would be removed from him and he will be destroyed God is merciful, he's patiently waiting and giving to the unbeliever everything they need for a life on earth, and He is also a judge who appointed a day in which he requires everything back. And if you didn't return to him with praises and glory and adoration and trusted in Jesus, you will meet him as a judge. It will be total surprise, total surprise for them. The effect would be devastating. And God is, through Paul, he tells about those people that they are drunken, they're sleeping, they're on alert. They have no idea what's coming. They would be devastated by us, by the robbery. It would be also sudden destruction. We hear here, see here in the text in verse 3 that while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. Not only that they would not expect it, but it would be so quick that there would be no time to change. There would be no time to prepare. People will be in a false security because they will be keep saying, notice this, that they are saying, keep on saying peace and safety. And they're saying peace and safety not because everything is good and and rosy, but because they are convincing themselves that everything is fine. This is the height of self-deception, promises by false teachers. Unbelievers will be wrapped in fatal, self-deceiving sense of security, saying everything is good, everything is nice. If you heard a little bit about psychologists Non-Christian psychologist that would tell you that when you have trouble in your soul and everything is not going your way, this is how you deal with this: you come, sit at the chair, close your eyes, and say everything's fine, I am good, all's going to be good. But this is a false security because you are no good if you have no Jesus. There is no way that everything will be fine without Christ. False sense of security, continuously assuring themselves, repeating assurance that they are fine will not save you. The deception is made by the pseudo-therapists, but also pseudo-preachers. People will keep on saying on that time that everything's fine. And Jesus compares this. He says, this is going to be like in the days of Noah. Everything is fine. Yes, you build an ark, but we are fine. There will be no flood. For those days were before the flood. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and given in marriage. Until the day the, the Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand. Until the flood came upon them all the way. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. It would be like the days of Lot. They were eating and were drinking. They were buying and they were selling. They were planting, they were building. But on that day when Lord Lot went out from Sodom and rained fire, brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. It would be the day, just a day too late, when people have no point of return. They will be deceived by the Antichrist. The Antichrist will come and, and spread the worldwide deception by the lawlessness. Lawless man who will be revealed. The activity of Satan would be magnificent. He will do many, many wonders and fake miracles. He will promise the peace in the Middle East. In Daniel chapter nine, he says that he will sign a covenant in the Middle East, and he will sit on the throne, and until that day, everybody will say, everything is going to be fine. This idea of peace and safety is expressed everywhere in Scripture, but th- here it's a, it points out that those people who are not ready to meet the day, they will think that all will pass and be fine. But it says here, the destruction would come upon them suddenly. It creates a great vividness to the whole scene of destruction. Suddenly, in a moment, in the blink of an eye there's gonna be point on the no return. There would be complete surprise. There would be so quick, sudden destruction, but it also would be sure destruction. It would be completely unavoidable, unexpected, but sure. There would be no change of plans. Paul says, like labor pains that comes upon the woman. This is how the day will come. Those who are married, those who have children, they know. When the baby wants to come, it will come. There's one thing for sure that you are going to deliver. When contraction starts, there's only one way for child delivery. You cannot change his mind or her mind. You cannot change your mind not to do it. It's one sure thing. One woman was a 7 month pregnant and someone asked her husband is your wife expecting he answered "She is not expecting it's a sure thing the baby is coming and this is a total hopeless situation appear here so as it is hopeless for a woman to change her mind or to not to deliver a child the same thing for the unbeliever would be hopeless situation there's point of no return You know, you as a husband really can't help your wife to avoid any sufferings. You can't do anything. You're just useless at the, at the labor. I don't know if you've been at the labor. I've been there four times. And, and all I could do is to, is to be quiet. Because anything you say is going to be used against you. It's like, you'll be fine. No, I'm not going to be fine. You'll go through. No, you don't know that. The only thing you could give is your hand for the squeezing and breaking and, and just quietly suffer. That's all. There's nothing you could do. There's nothing she could do. There's no point of return. The day of the Lord comes like a labor pain upon a woman that it would be no change, inescapable consequences. Sure, that's what people should know. That if you don't trust Christ today, today. If you don't have relationship today with the Lord you will not be ready you will not be able to change, to prepare to change your mind because it would be sudden unexpected and sure and it will bring a complete destruction. It would be permanent separation from God. It says here that they will not escape And English doesn't do justice because in Greek it's a double negative when it says that they shall by no means escape. By no means. There is no way that anyone upon whom the day of the Lord with all the judgment will come will escape. Paul issues a warning in verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. The word overtake you is coming from katalambana, meanings that it will take you with eagerness, will grab you with force, will lay hold and seize you with hostile intent. The same word in Mark chapter 9, verse 18, when when Mark describes how the evil spirit, that unclean spirit seized the boy and grabbed him and slams him to the ground. Now, if you're thinking that I have time and I'll be prepared a little bit later and I could change and I could plead with the Lord at that moment, you are full. It says, if you don't have the relationship with the Lord today, that day would be final. And therefore, you must prepare yourself for that day today so it would not overtake you by surprise. Right now, the raging waters of God's wrath, it's hidden hard against his dam of mercy. It's raging. And the only separates you from that day of his wrath is his mercy. And nobody knows when those channels will be open. And there will be no protection. And in a congregation like this, there are people who are fooling themselves today thinking that they're fine thinking that they have time, thinking that they could change the situation. And the answer is no, you will not escape. But guess what? If you are people of darkness, if you are men, of lawlessness, if you are in relationship with the Lord, just as we judge, there is time for you today to change. Now, in verse 4, he makes a big contrast. And he addresses now peoples of light. What are we, peoples of light, expect? How how are we relate to this day of the Lord, this dreadful, hard, dark day of destruction for every unbeliever? And the Bible says that we are not just fine, we're very good. Now I want to bring you an illustration for instance imagine that you have an IRS desire to have audited on on you let's say every person in this room would be audited once in his life you just do not know when but when it comes it comes suddenly without preparation that you have to show all the papers for the last seven years how would you do how would you do it's kinda of be too late to prepare at that moment. If you live dishonest life and you cheated on your taxes, it, it is too late. I mean you can't change the fact. But you'll be totally fine if you kept your papers and you live a holy and godly life. If you were a good citizen, and there should be no worries about anything. And the key promise in this passage for every believer that you are not in the darkness and you will not be overtaken in verse 4 like a thief by this day. And the key solution for us is not to know when the day of the Lord comes. And it's not even what will it bring and how it will come. That a key solution for us is to live your life ready. Live your life ready reasons why this day would not overtake you believer as a surprise or you believer will not be destroyed it is because you have been given three things you have been given a new nature you are living in new life and you have a new destiny you have a new nature you're a son of light you have a new life you're living in sober life and you have a new destiny, you obtain salvation. Now briefly, Paul says in verse four and five about your new nature. Who are you today? I asked you earlier, in what camp are you? And will you find yourself, verse five, four and five, that you are called the sons of light? The contrast is striking. He said, but you, brethren, are not in the darkness. There's a world of difference between you and them. He addressed them in verse 3, they, them, and then he says, you. You are completely different. Sometimes we're struggling to see the difference between us and unbeliever. But no, don't have, you know, don't fool yourself because God has a clear understanding who is who. If you don't recognize the difference between unbeliever and believer... And you could say, well, well, some of our believers are so good. And they're maybe better than some believers. You don't understand their position before the Lord. If we fail to see the unbeliever as a son of darkness, we fail to bring the message that you need salvation. They're a son of some night. And yet we, sons of light. The phrase here that the sons of light is really a descriptive phrase to whom you belong. We could really say sometimes, like Jesus called the two disciples sons of thunder. He really saying that they are loud people. They belong and they have this characteristics of being loud. When we say that the sons of strength pointed on your arms, meaning that you really have strong arm. When Paul is calling us the sons of day and sons of light, He's telling us to whom we belong. We belong to another realm. We belong to a realm of light and holiness, and therefore we are possessing the light. We belong to a new category of people. We have new character, new nature. Remember this today. Who are you? When you wake up tomorrow, who are you? How are you gonna present yourself to the world? Are you living in the reality that you are the son of day? Sometimes I look at the believer, and look at their messy life, and it's hard to see. Are you representing day? Are you representing night? Paul says, if you are the part of the light, then you are children of light, and you've been saved by the gospel, you also have a new lifestyle, in verse 6 and 8, he says, what should you do today as a new creature? And Paul Paul reminds us about the duty of Christian child. He said, be on alert. Don't be drowsy. Don't get drunk with the world. Wake up, Christian. He introduces logical conclusions. He says, so then, in verse 6, if you are children of light, so then, let us not sleep. Wake up, dress up, live a godly life. And Paul says and addresses this as as the lifestyle of a soldier. He says, your lifestyle is different. If before you were careless for the spiritual things, now you should be unalert. You should be awakened. This sleep is different from sleep in chapter 4 verse 13 when, when he's addressing people that don't worry about those who fall asleep, meaning they die. But sleeping, meaning inactivity, sleeping at night does not mean that you do not do anything. You just don't do anything positively good. The person who is sleeping during the day does not practice the activity of the day. Similarly, unbeliever does not practice the godliness, and therefore he is careless and he is totally incapable to do any righteousness because he sleeps for that. He's morally indifferent, lying, stealing, cheating, living an immoral life. It's called darkness in sleeping. Paul has said, wake up. If you are in this category of believers, wake up. For those who are asleep, they do the spiritual things at night in the sphere of darkness, but you are sons of light. Now, it doesn't mean that you never sin. Once in a while we doze off and we sin. I read a story about a man who his name is James Lawrence who did 50 Iron Man in 50 days in 50 states. You know what Iron Man is. It's just a kind of triathlon when, when there's very, very intense exercise. There's swimming, there's running, there's biking. He did 50 Ironman every day for 50 days in 50 different states, and he pulled that off. Now, one time when he was driving and riding on a bike, he does off, and he fell off, and he broke his bone. Christians, we're in the marathon. We're driving, we're riding, we're going. And occasionally, Paul is reminding us that, wake up, you have to be on alert all the time. Augustine says, the last day is a secret. That day, every day must be watched then. And your outlook is changed. Instead of just looking elsewhere, you're looking upward. You're like a watchman. You are not asleep. But be on alert and sober, waiting for the day of the Lord. From the horizontal outlook, when you look at how things happening here in life, in life, you're looking for the blessed hope that comes from heaven. That does not mean that you sit and stare at heaven doing nothing. God condemns do-nothing people. But he says, be on alert and be active. Be active for the godly life and preaching all the gospel. Paul addresses believer as a watchman who is waiting for the Lord to come. And Paul addresses believer here as a warrior. He said, Be sober. Be sober. Everybody knows what to be physically sober, not to get drunk with alcohol or intoxicated. But what does it mean to be sober spiritually? And he gives this the sober meanings that you need to be dressed up and ready for action. It means that you be sober and self-controlled, alert, watchful, mentally awakened, and not be intoxicated with the worldliness. Man of God is not intoxicated with excessive alcohol and intoxicated with materialism. He is also not intoxicated with the success in his life. He is a child of God who's waiting for his Savior to deliver him from the wrath to come. When you check yourself, what are you awake for? What on your mind, Christian, today? Money, possessions? Many think far more about how to get money or how, what to dress next morning than about what to think and what to do about Christ's return. Many think about fashion more than about spiritual fashion. But Paul says, you're the soldier of God and in a lang- language he describes a soldier because he says well you have to put the armor upon himself you must be dressed up not in worldly things but in the heavenly things and these are three things he said you have put on upon yourself the armor of light as we read in romans 13 12. and this armor should be put on at all time it says put it on suggested that at one time one step deal when you put on when you believe in jesus christ don't put it off and there's three things that he says. Breastplate of faith, breastplate of love, and helmet of salvation. When you put breastplate of faith, you put in bulletproof vest of faith. Faith in Lord Jesus Christ that is opposite than faith in yourself, on you, in your doing. You understand that on that day, nothing will save you but faith in Jesus Christ. That's all. There's nothing that you could do to please God. You're not trying to please God to earn his salvation. You put trust in Christ. Faith will protect you in the most horrible time in your lives. And the idea is here, if this breath plate you're wearing right now, and he will save you at the day of wrath, then will it not save you today with your dealings in this life? faith is our bulletproof vest against the wrath of god it also said that the same breastplate of love vest prote- protects our heart dress up in love of your god and you are able to stand against any kind of temptations if you are tempted to do anything else you're really tempted to love something else If you're tempted to love the world, if you're tempted to do immorality, if you're tempted to do cheating, it is because some other idol attracts your heart. And God said, put on, as you have been put on, the love of Jesus that will seriously protect you in temptation against the sin. When we're breaking God's law, we have really chosen to love something else. And Paul says, put on the love. Of Christ the breastplate protects your heart a helmet protects your mind is he says helmet and he explains the hope of salvation what is the hope what is your hope Christian that you will be saved from the wrath to come this is the assurance of salvation lose the helmet and you will be most definitely struggling with depression you set aside your helmet of salvation the assurance that he got you covered that he will save you and protect you and you will be depressed with bunch of doubts with mental struggles about whether god is real whether he's able to protect whether he hears you or he really good roman soldiers would be foolish to put his armor off during the time of battle One of the key elements for the Roman soldier was to protect his brain against the broadsword. And the broadsword was used against a soldier, and a soldier does not have the helmet. It cuts him in two. In the same way, I believe, that this is how Satan uses our... Uses the destruction... He uses the doubts to penetrate our mind. This heavy sword of doubt, heavy sword of doubt in God's protection and God's salvation will get to you and split your mind into two parts and you become double-minded. When you take off your helmet of salvation or your assurance that you are saved and protected, you start doubting about everything. I like how MacArthur says Satan has this broadsword with two edges: discouragement and doubt. You sure are giving a lot and not getting much in return. You're restricting your life to a certain standard, is setting yourself apart from the world. But what happens? You just lost your job. Some blessings. You've been reading your Bible every day, but your wife is as cranky as she was before you brought this Bible at home. And has it had an effect on her at all. What is that God doing in your life? You've been doing, going to church for years, but look at your kids. They don't respect you today any more than they ever did. And he brings this sword of doubt and discouragement to distract us. It is simply because we forgot that God is our salvation. Trail trials are coming, no doubt. Struggles will come. And we'll live still in flesh. We'll make many mistakes. But what is our solution? Should we give up? Should we sit down? Should we drop our hands? Should we drop everything and move in Texas because in California everything's so bad? But Paul says, no. What you should do is you should wake up. Remember who you are. You're a child of light. You should put on the breastplate of faith, love, and helmet of salvation, which will protect you during this life and the life to come. Psalm 43, 5, David says the same thing. He says, why are you in despair of my soul? And why are you dis- disturbed within, within me? Why? Change of scene, change of situation. He said, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And Pyle finishes this and he said, you are a new type of people. You have a new lifestyle. Now you live in a different type of life when you're sober and alert. You're watching towards heaven, waiting for the Lord to come, but you're not idle. You're put in breastplate of faith. You're put in breastplate of, of love, and you are secure in your salvation why? Because in verse 9 he says, You should be secure in your destiny. You are untouched people. The fact that we will not be part of this tribulation period in the day of the Lord and will be snatched away from it is confirmed in verse 9. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath. He's not destined us for wrath. He did not appoint us for the wrath but he appointed us for what for obtaining salvation through christ jesus what is your destiny christian are you secure if you are secure on that day then it should make you think that you're secure now and if you are ready to meet him now then you'll be ready to meet him then Paul encourages us to live this life of readiness. Jesus may come at any time. So we should be ready at any time. Are you? And if you're ready and you understand that this is a dreadful day that will come upon any believer, how does it change your perspective on anything? We just heard this passage. We're going to walk out from here. We may just rejoice that we will not be there. We'll be happy that God saved us. How does it change our lives in our perspective upon unbelievers? This is a sure thing. They will die. They will not escape. And the reason God is telling us this today, to encourage us to spread the word. And if you are people of the day, the light would shine. It would be obvious everywhere you go. Now, we don't like to think about the day of the Lord. We don't like to think about these things. We like to think, how can we improve our days today and be encouraged today? But this is a great encouragement for us to go and share the love of God. When is the last time that you did... Mention the wrath of God coming upon the believer, unbeliever. When? When are you planning to do so? You do not know when it's coming. How does it change your perspective on life? How do you live your life? Are you changing in any way? Are you awakened? Are you really dressed up? Do you have this assurance of salvation that is obvious in your life that you're a joyful Christian and not constantly bombarded by the doubts and distresses? Or you find yourself in misery when you don't think about anything else but yourself, when you're not dressed up, when you're drowsy and you're sleeping. Jesus said, Be an alert. Paul says, Be an alert, for you do not know. All these things are coming. Be ready today. Father, we pray that you may bless us. And to be changed. As we we'll wait for our Lord Savior return, let us keep on praying, working, and watching while looking for the blessed hope, our only hope for this world. Amen.